I think we're going to have a small crowd tonight, so we're going to go ahead and dive in so that we're um, <clears throat> not here all night. So uh, I want to thank you for coming out and appreciate it. Uh, uh, it's been a long day, long week for everybody, and um, this has always been a tough spot, but uh, it's usually been pretty good and I hope that the material that is presented to you will be helpful and a blessing help you with your own Bible reading help you with how you if you are in a position to teach in your local church that it will give you a framework for doing that and um, and hopefully encourage your own walk with God um, I think it's important to have a healthy theology that drives our spirituality and our prayer life um, uh, to a great degree. So we are in part three of a three-part series on Abba Father. In the last couple of days, we have talked about the God that Jesus prayed to, and by doing that, we have looked at the Hebrew Bible. And come on in. My turn to be late. Um, <laughs> sometimes we have a tendency to disassociate Jesus from the God of the Old Testament. This is a drastic mistake, um, and hopefully the last couple of nights we have been able to show that. God is the God of Hesed, that is the God creed, and God is the God who rescues. So each of those two things that we have talked about converge on what we're going to be talking about tonight. And that is Emmanuel. And I want to remind you that the very first page of the New Testament tells us that someone came and he was Emmanuel. Now, when that says Emmanuel in Matthew chapter 1, that is not what Mary called Jesus. That was not put on his birth certificate. That is Matthew telling you, the reader, the significance of this one called Joshua. This one called Jesus. That he is Emmanuel. And for those of us who may not have serious roots in the Hebrew Bible, we may think this is some, something new or we may even think that, well, in one text in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible in Isaiah, that something was said about that. Um, but I want to submit to you that this is fundamental to Israelite faith from the beginning to the end. And it is the thing that the God who loves, the God of the God creed, Exodus 34, verse 6, who is Hesed, the one who exercises that love by rescuing us, has a goal. The goal reaches its climax in Emmanuel. And that didn't just happen with Jesus. This is what God was attempting to do all along as the expression of His love. The expression, this is the purpose of the redemption that takes place both in the Exodus and with Jesus himself. And of course, Jesus' redemption is connected with the stuff we saw last night. So, Abba Father, uh, Emmanuel. So, just real briefly, God in the rearview mirror. The God Creed tells us, and we looked at lots of other texts uh, along the way, it tells us who God is. Everybody has a theology of who God is. The Romans had theirs. They had lots of deities. 
the Babylonians had theirs, and they had lots of deities, and each deity has a certain characteristic. Uh, <clears throat> the Egyptians have theirs, the Canaanites have theirs, and Israel had a god. The word god is not a name, it is a title. Israel, or it's a, a character like human, human is a, is a category, and there's all kinds of deities in the ancient world. And so, who is God, and what do you mean by that? When you say the word God, what does that mean? Well, for Israel, Israel had a specific perception of what that word meant. It means hesed. Who is God? Yahweh is God, and Yahweh is hesed. That's Exodus 34. That's where we were the first night. And what is that God? So, again, if you asked an ancient Israelite, who is God? And what is God like? She would reply, Yahweh is God, and Yahweh is steadfast love. This was not new in the New Testament. This was not new when Jesus came along. This is stuff that is all the way back to the very beginning. And so, what does that God of love do? That's the grace creed that we looked at last night. The God who loves is the God who rescues. He rescues the nobodies. He rescues the oppressed. That's what this God does. Love is expressed. So our God is Yahweh, and our God, Yahweh, loves to the uttermost, and our God, Yahweh, expresses that love by rescuing us. That's what we looked at last night. So, um, if you ask an ancient Israelite, well, what does God do? And again, you ask them, that means Yahweh. What does Yahweh do? Yahweh remembers the powerless and redeems them. That is what Yahweh does. Israel, remember the wandering Aramean thing we looked at in some detail last night? This identifies who we are. We are the powerless, we are the oppressed, and Yahweh has redeemed us. So what does God do? Well, Baal does stuff. Marduk does stuff. Uh, Amun Ray does stuff. What does Yahweh do? Yahweh remembers the powerless and redeems them. So, uh, that leads us tonight. Uh, the Emmanuel Creed is the, is the goal. Oh, you're going to do that again? I do it. I, can awesome. I a, can I have awesome. an administrative assistant percentage well, of your... Awesome. Uh, you just, you are, you earned your uh, $20 tonight. Your, uh, <laughs> hey, Bobby. Move your microphone. Oh, yeah, I need to move that. Absolutely. I just want to sit in front of everybody. Um, <clears throat> so, so, the God Creed leads into the Grace Creed, and both of those together point to this, the Emmanuel Creed. And the Emmanuel Creed describes... A relationship. That's what it is. It describes a relationship. The God of love who rescued those who were powerless enters into a relationship with them. And that relationship is summed up in this word. Emmanuel. Alright, and I want to unpack that. Uh, brings us again, yada, yada, yada. The Hebrew Bible... Uh, the Emmanuel Creed says this right here. This is the big thing. Our God dwells with us. That's what this God does. That's Emmanuel, and we're going to see what that is. God dwells with us. All right, so the Hebrew Bible proclaims that Yahweh created the world in love. We looked at the the festivals last night real quick, the calendar, and every single week, 
The Israelites and Jews to this day were reminded that God created the world in love. Psalm 136, first 11 verses. God redeems us in love. That's the Exodus and on. That's the rest of Psalm 136. And on we can go. God does this in creation. And this is what Eden is. Eden is this place that God created. Now, if we believe in the Trinity in any, however vaguely we conceive that, God didn't need anything. There was nothing contingent upon God to create anything. He didn't need that. Are you following me? So, the Israelites believe that too. So, what compelled God to do this? Love does. Love expresses itself. And God created a place where love can be expressed between the deity and creation. That's what this cosmos is. And it becomes God's temple on a huge scale. Humans, through their hubris, were exiled from the dwelling of God. Adam and Eve walked in the garden. In the ancient world, most temples had some kind of garden attached to them. The Garden of Eden seems to be this, this garden that is attached to the temple. And they are there. They are, in fact, God's image in the temple. Ancient temples have an image in them. But God put His own image in His own temple. And that was you and me. And we reflect His glory out in there, place this in that, uh, that garden. Uh, they were exiled from His dwelling presence. So dwelling is the essence of the relationship between Israel and Yahweh. I want us to grasp that. Dwelling. And that's a fancy word that sometimes scholars throw around and theologians throw around, but what does dwelling actually mean? If you're talking on the street uh, with somebody, it means that they live together. That's what that means. It means you have an intimate relationship. That's what this means. Dwelling, living together, is the sign of the relationship that Israel has with Yahweh. And steadfast love, that is Hesed, and gracious redemption find their goal, the point of it all, in the Creator of the universe living with Israel. This is Emmanuel, God with us. That is where the God Creed goes. That is where the Grace Creed goes. That's why God created the universe. That's why God redeems Israel so that God can live with them. Alright? To restore what was lost. And it's not just getting rid of sin. you got to get rid of sin so that you can have the relationship. The relationship is the goal. That's what it's all about. And so, Emmanuel, the most common word for this relationship idea in the Hebrew Bible is the word covenant. Covenant is a powerful, powerful word. It is not a contract. I grew up with preachers using the word contract to describe covenants. I didn't know any better when I was 14 years old and when I was 22 years old. And sometimes some preachers don't know any better when they're 50 years old. And they still use that. But when you have a preacher who says that kind of thing, you need to, pardon my expression, you should want to hurl. Okay? Because contracts are not covenants in the Bible, and covenants 
are not contracts. God does not enter into a contract with us. He enters into a relationship with us. And this is fundamental. If a husband and wife, if, if a wife has a husband who believes that his relationship with her is based on a contract, I feel sorry for that woman. And the other way around, because that's just not the case. If a child is somehow imagines itself in a contractual relationship with the dad or the mom, that is a pretty abysmal parental-child relationship. That is not what we find in the Bible. Covenant is relationship. Covenant is Emmanuel in motion. Covenant is Emmanuel in 3D. That's what it is. So if we want to go to the next slide. So the covenant of Hesed, this, this covenant that God enters into with Israel, and we hinted at this last night, and we're going to expand it just a little bit, this relationship, this Emmanuel Creed, is rooted in the covenant that the Hebrew Bible itself calls a covenant of Hesed. See, Hesed is the root of the God Creed. And that is why God delivered the children of Israel in the Grace Creed. And it describes the relationship in the Emmanuel Creed. Now, I, again, grew up, and I don't mean to knock anybody uh, by saying this, but I never knew that the Hebrew Bible describes itself as a covenant of love. And it does so repeatedly. I heard law, okay? And by the way, when we used the word law, we almost always meant something by that word that the Bible does not mean. Okay? Uh, it just does not mean what we think it means. But, so, here are some texts in the Hebrew Bible that maybe you know, and I hope you do. So this will be a great reminder if you do. So, in the Lord... The God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below who keep your covenant of Hesed with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. The Israelites did not conceive of their uh, walk with Yahweh as something based or rooted in a legal, legalistic requirement. It is a covenant of love. Okay? Who, again, we started this whole series off by asking the question, who is God like? That was the question from Micah. And it pointed to the God creed. Well, the same thing is going on here. There is no God like you. Why is there no God like you? What made Yahweh different than Marduk? What made Yahweh different than Amon Re? What made Yahweh different from all these others? It wasn't that they had temples or they had special ceremonies. What made Yahweh unique was Hesed. Hesed. This covenant of love. The Lord, the God of Israel, and it sounds like like the second verse of the same song. There is no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way from 1 Chronicles chapter 6. At the end of the story, and we quoted part of this last night to get the uh, both the God Creed and the Grace Creed in there, in Nehemiah chapter 9, notice what he says. Our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his what? Covenant of love. Covenant of Hesed. And that's said in that chapter, not once, but twice. Okay, that's how Nehemiah describes it. So let's, 
Uh, oh, and at the very beginning, within the Torah itself, this is how Moses characterizes the relationship with God. Okay? In fact, we quoted Deuteronomy chapter 7 last night. That's how we ended last night. And it says, The Lord your God is God. He is the faithful, which should send our mind immediately back to Exodus 34. Okay? Right there. Keeping His covenant of love. And again, like in Nehemiah, this is said twice here. Both in verse 9 and again in verse 12. When Moses, again, was preaching the word to the people and describes what it is to be in a relationship with Yahweh, he did not call it law. He called it a covenant of love. And that itself sort of changes the dynamic of how we encounter the Hebrew Bible, how we read the Hebrew Bible, how we receive it. God uh, did not undergo uh, a heart transplant between Malachi and Matthew. Sometimes I say it a little more plain and say that God did not repent and be baptized between Malachi and Matthew. He is the same God who is the God of Hesed and has always been the God of Hesed. Yes? I think you mean Second Chronicles 6.14. Say what? I think you mean Second Chronicles 6.14. Oh, okay. Is there a typo? Uh, yeah, okay, Second Chronicles. Yeah, because this is in the middle of... Uh, the uh, genealogies right there. So yes, Second Chronicles chapter. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> so the Emmanuel Creed, as we said a little while ago, um, expresses the relationship between uh, Yahweh and God's people, and that is Israel, or Yahweh and God's treasured possession. Um, and that is, I put the little word nuptial here. When we hear this, uh, describing this relationship, as we're going to see, it is in nuptial imagery. It is marriage imagery. The Apostle Paul did not invent the notion that the so-called church, which is the people of God, it is Israel, renewed, is the bride of God, or the bride of the king. And Christ means king, of course. So Paul doesn't invent that. This is stuff that comes from the Hebrew Bible, because Israel is married to Yahweh. So that's what this is all about. So we see the, a great articulation of this in the book of Exodus, chapter 6. And Yahweh is speaking uh, through Moses, and I want you to pay attention to the language. I am Yahweh. And notice how it goes back to the Grace Creed and the uh, God Creed. I will free you from oppression. That's the language from Deuteronomy chapter 26 that we looked last night. Uh, I will deliver you or free you from the oppression of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery. This is all grace. This is the grace stuff. I'm going to do this. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. This is what I'm going to do. That's, again, the grace creed. I will do this for you. I'm Yahweh. What does God do? What does Yahweh do? He remembers the oppressed. He redeems them. Then it goes on, and it says in the next line, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. We need to hear that 
as nuptial vows. I will take you as my wife, and I will be your husband. And this is why prophets like Hosea and others can consider Israel going off after Baal as adultery. Okay? Because they are in a covenant of love, a marriage, with Yahweh. And I will be your God. You will be my people. You shall know. Now notice, all this is said, I will do this, and that leads to this. You shall know that I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. You shall know that I am Yahweh. How will you know that I am Yahweh? I do this stuff. Okay? I do this stuff. That's how you know I am Yahweh. All right? This is God's name tag. Everybody has identity markers. The identity markers of Yahweh is this stuff. I'm going to take you as my wife. And then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God. I'm not Baal. I'm not Marduk. Because they don't do this kind of stuff. But I do. I am Yahweh, your God. Notice how it circles around to up here. Who has freed you from the oppression of the Egyptians? I will bring you. Notice how it's repeating itself. I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the ancestors that we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 26. And I will give, again, this is grace, this is what God does, this is the Hesed in motion. I will give it to you for a possession, and notice how it ends. I am Yahweh. Okay? But the description of what God does, the grace creed, is frames the Emmanuel creed. You're going to live with me. We're going to be together. We're in this relationship together. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the relationship. Because I've done all this for you. And so that leads to this. So married people, if we actually get married, as we said before, they, they typically, they typically, in every culture I've ever heard of, I don't know an exception to this, when people get into that intimate relationship... They usually get together, do they not? That's what they do. They live together. And that living together is the symbol that they are a couple. Okay? It expresses the relationship between the two. So in Israel, this relationship's ultimate symbol is the tabernacle. Or the temple. And I have sometimes uh, compared that to a wedding ring. The wedding ring is not literally the marriage. But if a wife loses her wedding ring, it's like all hell is breaking loose. Okay? Are you following me? There is something intimately powerful about that ring. It is not just a ring. And the temple in Israel is not just rocks and mortar. It is the symbol God dwells with us. This shows that we are His people. It shows that we have the God of love, and He has redeemed us, and we are living with Him. That's what this temple is all about. And so, the temple uh, is, is like, like heaven on earth. God is way up there, and the Israelites believed that. God is, is transcendent. God is outside creation. He, he's not a created thing. He's, he's not this. He is outside that. But God fills creation in Hesed. And when you read through the Psalms, you know, it talks about the Hesed is higher than the sky and lower than the sea. Where can you go and escape the what? The presence 
of the Lord because he has filled his temple with his presence. And so the cosmos is like right here in miniature. The entire cosmos is in this building. And what God is going to do to the cosmos is first done in this. And when it's done here, it will be done out there. Are, again, are we communicating? And we see the Psalms say this. Psalm 78 says that uh, the Lord has made His dwelling place like uh, the universe. So, um, when we get to Leviticus that book that we almost never read, uh, it says some marvelous things. I, this is Yahweh, I will look with favor upon you and make you, and I want you to, to pay attention to the language here. I will make you Fruitful and multiply you. Where, where does that language come from? Genesis? Right? It's like God is recreating the world through the redemption of Israel. And Israel is like all humans, all mankind, somehow together. And what God is doing to them, God's dwelling in His temple. And through His temple, He's going to change the whole world. Okay? You will be fruitful. You will, be, you will multiply. That's because there's life here. Okay? No curse. There'll be life. That's what fruitful multiply. When you have your, your vines, your grapevines and your olives, and they're fruitful and multiplying, that means they're growing pretty good, right? And it's healthy, a good environment, almost like an Eden environment. And then, and, and I, and again, I want pay attention to the language. I will maintain my covenant. It's not my covenant. It's God's covenant. God's covenant of Hesed. I will maintain my covenant with you, and you shall eat old grain long stored. That sounds almost like a parable that Jesus told. You know? Uh, the... The reapers getting there while people are still sowing and sowing while the reapers are trying. You you remember that, right? Oh, oh, you're gonna be you're gonna be eating this stuff. You got so much stuff stored, you're still eating it when it's time to plant again. And you shall have to clear out the old to make way for the new. Again, that's uh, stuff of blessing, is it not? That's what that language is. That's the same thing as this fruitful multiply stuff. And, and, and I will place my dwelling in your midst. That's the temple. That's, that's the cloud. That's the that's that fire stuff that is there. I will place my dwelling in your midst, and I shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you. Again, this language that we see here should remind us of another story. In, again, the Garden of Eden. God is walking in the garden with humanity. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden are literally every human on the planet. That's who they are. They are all of us. I'm walking with you. Every human in Adam, every human in Eve. Okay? So, I will walk among you, and I will be... Here's that language again. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. 
Why do I put my dwelling in your place? Because we're married. Because we're in a covenant. And, and you don't abhor your wife. You love your wife. And you keep your covenant with her. Even when things are bad. Now, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And notice, all of a sudden, why is this? I am Yahweh your God. Describing the grace creed that we talked about last night. I am Yahweh your God. Brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more. I have broken the bars of your yoke and will make you stand. I am giving you dignity. I am giving you life. I am giving you hope. I am giving you everything that you've never had. You were literally in the kingdom of death, and now I have rescued you because I pay attention to the, to the oppressed, and I have brought you to myself, and I will live with you. So here again, we see the God creed, we see the grace creed, we see the Emmanuel creed. Why is God living with us? Because He loves us and He redeems us. And He loves us and He redeems us so that we can live with Him. So that we have this intimate relationship with the Lord. Sometimes when I'm reading through the Psalms, and I've been reading the Psalms for a long time, and people say, man, sometimes they're just so mad or they're whatever, and I'm like, that's a relationship. That's what that is. It is a real, genuine relationship. If you haven't got mad at your wife or your cat or uh, your son or your daughter uh, and things have been up and down and sometimes it just seems like nothing is going right in this house and there's psalms for that. And they describe that. And then it seems like everything is just a bright, sunshiny day and nothing can go wrong and there's psalms expressing that. And it's like, the Psalms are the heartbeat of Israel's faith. And a lot of this stuff is in the Psalms. And then you'll have those things better as one day in your court than a thousand everywhere because they want to be in God's presence. I want to see His face. If there's one thing I want, he says in Psalm 27, is I want to see the beauty of the Lord. That, that's because they have this relationship with God. And sometimes that relationship with God that I see in the Hebrew Bible is a whole lot deeper and a whole lot more intimate than some of the stuff I grew up with. They are not afraid of God. They are not afraid to tell God what they think. They're not. And to have that kind of lack of faith means that you trust the relationship. Are you... Are you following me? The covenant is, is the band that holds this together. And it isn't because I had it all together today, and I didn't fry the toast, and I didn't stub my toe, and I didn't do anything wrong. It's God is holding us together. I will maintain my covenant. With you. And I will place my dwelling, my house, my temple, my palace, my honeymoon suite in your midst. And this, of course, is exactly what happens in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus and the story of the Exodus does not end at the Red Sea. That is a high moment, but that was not the goal. That was not the goal and never was the goal. Let my son go so that he can worship me. I want to live with my people. I want to dwell with them. And so after the God creed in Exodus 34, again, I will maintain my covenant. What do we have? After they cheated with the bellhop on the honeymoon, what 
happened, God gave Moses the plans for the bridal suite. And then they built it. And the way the book of Exodus ends is with the glory of the Lord coming and filling the tabernacle. And God lives with his people. It's almost as if a great U-Haul has come and it pulled up to Mount Sinai and Yahweh decided, I'm no longer going to live up here. I'm going to pack my stuff into the U-Haul and I'm going to move down there. And you unpack the U-Haul and you build this wonderful thing, a canopy bed and the whole nine yards, and you let everybody camp around you and I'm going to be right here in the middle of everybody I love. That's the tabernacle. And God's glory is dwelling with the people. Let's go to the next slide. So we're, this is so prominent in the Hebrew Bible. We're going to read a bunch of texts. Is that all right? Because we need to have this, the cadence and the language in our head so that we see it. And this is just sampling stuff. Okay, because sometimes we're reading through this stuff and we simply, we don't get it. We just do not know our story. And that doesn't mean to say we don't know, we don't understand our story. We don't understand what covenant is. We don't understand all this other stuff. And so, um, we're going to read a bunch. Okay, so, and this starts off in Genesis. And I want you to pay attention. Just pay attention to this language. I will establish my covenant. There it is. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land. Again, pay attention to that language. That shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Okay? I will give it. I will give it. I will give it. You didn't earn it. You didn't get it. You did nothing. I'm Yahweh. And I do these things. So I will give it to you, the land where you are now. And again, an alien. My father was a wandering air man. We had no place to live. You know, we were nothing. That's what we were. Uh, all the land of Canaan for a perpetual holding. And I will be their God. There it is. I will be their God. Um, let's go to the next. You have seen. What I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is a powerful image. We talked about it a little bit last night. That uh, God has carried the Israelites to himself. They didn't walk. They didn't run. They didn't sail. They didn't do anything but gripe and grumble. And so he picked them up like eagles' wings and brought them to himself. And I used the illustration last night. I'll use it again tonight. Like in, in Lord of the Rings when Frodo and Samwise are on the back of those awesome, huge eagles. What are they doing? Absolutely nothing. They're getting carried by the eagles. That's what God says here. I brought you. You didn't come. I brought you. I brought you to myself. And then it says, And now therefore... If you obey my words and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession of all the peoples. Now Exodus 19 goes on and says, The whole earth is mine. After all, God did create the whole world out of Hesed, did he not? But out of the whole world, you will be my wife. You will be my treasured possession but you shall be for me. This is why God's pulling them into this relationship. This ties back into Genesis chapter 12. You will be a priestly nation and a holy nation. This is where you're blessing the people. You're, you will be a blessing to the nations. Let's go on. And here it is. I will dwell among the Israelites and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord your God. And notice the sequence of that language. I will dwell with you. I will be your God. 
and you will know that I am Yahweh. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt. This is the grace creed. I rescued you. What does God do? He redeems out of Hesed. And, the, and, and why did He do that? He rescued them that I might dwell with you. Emmanuel. That's what that is. Emmanuel. That I will be living with you. I am the Lord, their God. Let's go on to the next. Then I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. There it is. Anytime you see, again, that's the whole Exodus story right there. I did this. I did this. From the iron, I mean, from the iron furnace saying, listen to my voice and do all that I command you so that you uh, may be my people and I will be your God. I've skipped over a lot of stuff, but Jeremiah's got a lot of this stuff. Ezekiel's got a lot of this stuff. So let's go to the next uh, slide or next whatever. Oh, yes. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And recognize uh, where, where this is. Jeremiah 30. We're getting really close to that, ooh, that big new covenant prophecy, right? So, in fact, Jeremiah chapter 30 through 33, they're like that uh, unit right there together. But that language is not new. It's been there all along. It was given to Israel from the very beginning. And let's go to the next one. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Note the, note the reference. Jeremiah 31, verse 1. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And then notice again the reference, Jeremiah 32. And then, I'm going to skip some, because I want to end on something else. We're going to Ezekiel. and says, That they may walk in my statutes, and keep my commands, and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Again, this is... I will be your husband and you will be my wife. We're going to live together. Okay? Uh, that the houses of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves anymore with all their transgressions. Wicked rebellion and sin. Exodus 34. But they may be my people, and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. Ezekiel chapter 14. Again, in Ezekiel, and they shall know, again, they shall know that I am the Lord their God with, with them. That's the Emmanuel. They will know that I am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. This is Emmanuel. Again, the God creed says who God is. God is the Hesed. He is the Hesed. He is the, the God of love, God of steadfast love. What does that God do? He rescues us with a mighty hand out of stretched arm. Where does that go? Hey, you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will dwell among you. I will live with you. I will be, I'm, I'm, we're going to be together. Oh my goodness, it's almost as if Israel is living like Adam in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. Let's go to the next one. And Ezekiel, oops, go back. My dwelling place shall be with them. My house will be with them. My, my, where, where I live is not going to be away from my people. It's going to be with them. Again, this, this is Emmanuel. Do we have to understand what we're reading so that it will go in. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 37. And, and where is this? What's going on in Ezekiel 37? Who knows? What is it, Johnny? Valley of Dry Bones. The Valley of Dry Bones. And what happens in the Valley of the Dry Bones? Uh, the, 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 the Lord 
Well, the Ezekiel preachers and the valley of the dry bones. Well, who are the dry bones? They are the Israelites, right? They are the dead, decomposed people of God. That's who they are. But God, who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and maintains His covenant of love, refused to let Israel be dead. If they died, and that would that could be it. It's over with. Okay? But God refused. And so what does God do? He takes His, his man, Ezekiel, and says, I want you to go and prophesy to them. I'm going to preach to them. And after that, what happens? They all start coming back together like a resurrection from the dead. And at the end of that, we have this. I will be their, their God. These resurrected from the dead people. I will be their God. I will put my dwelling place among these people who are so sinful that they had to die in exile. But I will not let the story in there. I will not let the story in there because God is the God-creed God. And He is the grace-creed God, so He rescues them out of the grave through His own power, just like He rescued them out of Egypt by His own power. Those dead bones do not resurrect themselves. They were raised from the dead by God's ruah and comes along and says, I will be with them. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Let's go on. Skipping down some more to Hosea. I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. You remember her, right? Okay. I, I'm See, I'm, it, the story doesn't end there because I'm the God of the God creed. I am full of mercy, full of hesed. And, and the one who had no mercy, I will show mercy on. I will say to the one who is not my people, like in Exod, I mean Ezekiel, they're dead. They're not my people. But I'm going to say to those people who are not my people, you are my people, and he or I shall say, you are my God. There it is. This, is. this has been going on since Genesis. Okay? We're going to live together. And again, in this particular story, in Hosea chapter 2, of course it's Gomer. We heard about Gomer the other night. And she has certainly wandered away from the covenant. Amen? But what did God do? God did not throw her away. God did not get rid of her. And if in chapter 3 verse 1, if that is describing Gomer, which I believe it is says, okay, and for anybody who's ever gone through a divorce and had to deal with that kind of BS, okay, and you got that person over there, and it says that she is loved by another, I want you to go love her, you go get her, and you love her as I love the Israelites. That's Hosea chapter 3 verse 1. And if you haven't gone through that kind of crap, it doesn't mean crap. But if you have, it's like that is the hardest kind of thing that you can ever imagine. Because that woman spit in your face. She flipped you off. How many times have you taken her back? And now she is so degraded that she's even like half a slave. But I want you to love her. Again, as we started out with in this series on the other night, Hesed, as someone said, is hell will freeze over before I give you up. That's what it is. And God refuses to give up on Gomer. He refuses to give up on his people. That's you and me. We have been brought into this. So this is, and, and if we move down a little bit further to Haggai, this is post-exilic stuff, and, and they're, they're dirt poor again. 
That's what they are. They are stragglers. They're nobodies again. And they decide that they're going to build a, a little building and call it a temple. Right? And Haggai comes along. And by the way, that's in the context of festival. Go read it. It's awesome stuff. It's like, <clears throat> and what does Yahweh say? It doesn't matter. You know, you, you could have a cast iron ring. You know, that, that's all right. But I am with you. That's Emmanuel. For I am with you. My spirit remains on you. Hosea, I mean Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2, he says this. Let's go to the next. And in Zechariah, who's this contemporary, contemporary with, with Haggai, says, and I will bring them... And I want you, again, the language, the language. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Kind of like I brought them to myself on eagles' wings. I'm going to bring them. I'm going to bring them in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, that's Zion. That's, that's, the, that's where God dwells. This is, I'm going to bring them to myself. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. It's the Emmanuel Creed. God is with us. God, the God of Hesed, that's who He is. God is the God who rescues. That's what God does. And God is Emmanuel. Where does God live? He lives with those He loves. He lives with those He redeemed. He wants to be with us. That's what it's all about. Um, and I will put this third into the fire from Zechariah again and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name. And I will answer them. Oh, again, again, and if we ears to hear, this is Exodus all over again. Can I ask a question? What does that this third mean? What? This third. What are they talking about? Is oh. I don't know. Okay, I, just... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, scholars argue about that all the time. So uh, and they will call on my name. I will answer them. Remember going back to the thing that I, uh, that Yahweh saw and Yahweh heard. That's in the Grace Creed. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Yahweh saw, Yahweh heard. Ah, they're going to call. I will answer. And I will say, this is my answer to them when they call. They are my people. And I will say, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So the renewed covenant, Jeremiah. Um, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, after some things go wrong in our relationship. God knew something was going awry for a very, very long time. But, as we've said, Yahweh was not about to let it end like that. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the same stuff from Exodus 19. Let's go again. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. This is the new covenant stuff, or the renewed covenant. Let's, uh, so, when we bring that to us, God dwells competing temples. It's interesting, because we can read through Paul, and Paul talks like this. Okay? And, and we miss it. We miss it. Paul, I, Paul believes that what we call the church, and we use that word church, I'm convinced, 
in sort of ways that the New Testament does not actually use it. We say church, and as if that's something different, you know, something new, something whatever. Paul doesn't seem to do that. Um, it's the people of God. That's why he calls them the church of God. Sometimes I point out to people that the singular phrase, church of Christ, never occurs in the New Testament, which is most interesting. Paul never addresses a single congregation by church of Christ. You got the church of the Thessalonians? Two times. You got church of God? Eight times. Church of Christ? Zero times. They are the ecclesia, the kahal of God, which is what you see in the Hebrew Bible. God has called them and gathered them, and He dwells with them. And that's what He tells the Corinthians. Okay? Notice what happens. What agreement is there between the temple of God... Now, the temple, again, that's the wedding ring of God with His people. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Oh, we've seen plenty of that in the Hebrew Bible. Those people of God running off after the foreign gods, the idols. And he says, For we are the temple of the living God, the one true God, the God that's been calling us since Genesis. As God has said, and all of a sudden... Paul goes and he quotes the Emmanuel Creed. I will live in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We just quoted that a little while ago from Leviticus. And here all of a sudden Paul comes along and says, you know what? What was said back there in Leviticus, you probably should have read it. Because you are the temple of God, and God lives with us. I will be in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We're married. We're in this covenant together. Let's go to the next. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Quoting Leviticus, uh, chapter 26. Emmanuel is the goal of creation and redemption. So we close the whole biblical story here. And this is the Emmanuel stuff. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. And the throne, by the way, you know, that's temple language. Where's God's throne? In the temple, you right? Yeah, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, all that stuff's in the book of Revelation. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humans. This is Old Testament stuff on the last page of the Bible. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humans. The temple, the dwelling of God is with the humans. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. The Emmanuel Creed. One more text, I think. In the very last chapter in the Bible, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be His God and He shall be my Son. I think that's it. Well, okay, so wrapping that all up, all these come together again in Jesus. The God Jesus prays to is this God. The God Jesus reveals is this God. The God Jesus served is this God. The God in John 3.16 is this God. John 3.16 does not say that Jesus loved the world. It says that the God of Israel loves 
the world. And that God, who is the Grace Creed, Exodus 34, verse 6, and that God, who is the rescuing God from the Grace Creed in Deuteronomy chapter 26, is the God that we find in John 1, who dwells among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only. I want to thank you for being with me. I know it's late, and... Um, we got started late, and it's not even midnight yet, so we are shorter than Paul. So uh, thank you for coming out, and um, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you.